Far from the Virginia green that envelops everything throughout the month of May, there is a mountain. It rises out of the arid, flat landscape surrounding it, and looks as though it might pierce the blue sky. It looks barren, ancient, and unforgiving. Colossal sculptures emerge from the jagged outcroppings, depicting Darius the Great, his legacy and his conquests. This is Mount Behistun. Part of the Zagros mountain range, Mount Behistun looks out over western Iran, roughly 300 miles from Tehran. The carving, or Behistun inscription of Darius the Great, has offered archaeologists many stories of the past. But there is another story that the mountain offers, one that may not sit in the stark relief that the old Persian emperor does. This story was told by 12th century poet Nizami Ganjavi, and iterations of it continue to be dusted off and retold. It is the legend of Farhad and Shirin. It is also the legend of the first tulips. My name is Allison B. Young, and this is Gathered, Storied Botanicals. First off, thank you for your patience as I had to delay this month's episode. I forgot what a whirlwind may can be, especially as I delve back into flowers full-time. Between the onslaught of weddings, proms, and Mother's Day orders, there just weren't enough hours in a day. And in honor of Mother's Day, I had planned on telling the story of the mother of botany, her achievements in cytogenetics, and her contribution to the biodiversity in India. I still have some homework to do her story justice, so for now I thought I'd offer a story of my own mother's favorite flower, the tulip. The Persian folktale stretches across many different cultures and has been compared to the star-crossed lovers of the West, Romeo and Juliet. The tragic love story is perhaps how the tulip has remained a symbol of passionate love. According to one source, the tulip symbolizes love in all its complexity, including absolute romance, a declaration of love, dreaminess, imagination, elegance, and grace. The flower also symbolizes the grip of overwhelming attraction and is associated with sensuality, advancement, lust, determination, arrogance, and a lover's heart darkened by passion. The tulip has a rich and storied history that precedes the Dutch masters and Dutch landscape that we have come to associate with the tulip. Before tulips came to Europe, it put roots down in the Ottoman Empire. Not only did tulips symbolize love, but were often linked with opulence and the mighty rulers and wealthy men of the past. Turkish sultans held an annual feast of tulips, complete with music, lavishly decorated gardens, and harems in attendance. And perhaps fittingly, it was a sultan who played a key role in the legend of the flower's first blooms. In the shadow of Mount Behistun, we meet Farhad, a stonecutter, engineer, and craftsman who gained notoriety for his skill in carving stone. A watercolor illustration shows Farhad with a thick beard, beginning to gray, and sharp, dark eyes. He carries what I imagine is his trusty pickaxe and chisel. I imagine he slung a woven sack of his stone-cutting tools over his shoulder, gripped it with aching, calloused hands. From his early years as an apprentice to the time 
Of this story, he carved out a certain rhythm from his work, marking time as he clapped dust from his hands every sundown. The steady swings and knocks that broke stone matched his breath, matched his very heartbeat. His work was his life. And through his work around the kingdom, Farhad earned chance encounters with royalty. He would glimpse glinting treasures, catch the scent of sweet wine and lavish feasts, and see the alluring women of the harem pass him by. Farhad was unfazed by these riches until he met Shirin. Some sources referred to Shirin as the princess, while others dub her queen of Armenia. The illustration depicts her as looking young, a soft, thoughtful tilt in her head, so for this retelling, Shirin has not yet been crowned queen. Farhad is struck by Shirin, falls in love with her right away. Suddenly, the beating of his heart changed its pace, set itself to a new metronome. For Shirin, though, he was simply another man working for the kingdom. Her curious expression makes me think of her as being preoccupied with other aspects of her life, drawn to studies or the natural world or the weighty power she was born to inherit. But that's the thing about stories that have become legends. There is plenty of room for speculation, projecting your own desires on the heroes and villains. I found nothing in my admittedly hurried reading that explains Shirin's state of mind or anything that paints her in a more dimensional and realistic light. And there isn't much indication as to what about Shirin captivated Farhad so completely. Perhaps Nizami offers insight in this epic poem, but it seems that contemporary versions or translations leave the character's motivations lost somewhere in its echoed versions. Out of my own speculation and projection, I'd like to think that Farhad fell in part for Shirin's curiosity. Her unquenchable thirst to explore and discover new knowledge humbled Farhad, who had spent his life devoted to just one thing, his stone-cutting craft. Shirin had trotted by on her gray, dappled horse, and suddenly Farhad felt small in this world. She became the embodiment of the world's vast possibilities, a hopeful gaze to the sky. But because of their status and roles in 6th century Iran, not to mention Shirin not reciprocating Farhad's feelings, Shirin was the one that got away. And so, after he'd completed his work, Farhad left his stone-cutting tools at home and wandered off into a nearby forest, where he fasted and played music on his flute. When word got around that the kingdom's greatest stonecutter and craftsman had set down his chisel and become something of a wilderness recluse, Sharon's curiosity was piqued. She ventured into the forest, following the dulcet tones of Farhad's flute playing. And when she found him, she too was struck, moved by his devotion, his soulfulness, maybe even his vulnerability. It was her turn to fall in love. At this point in the story, there's a new obstacle that stands between Farhad and Shirin, but that obstacle comes in different forms, either Shirin's father or Shirin's betrothed, Kasro. Both sultans, and both determined to keep the two apart. Poet Nizami 
details the backstory between Sharon and Kasro, who was a real historical figure. In keeping with Nazimi's telling, we'll call this Sultan Kasro, who had been courting Sharon and planned to marry her. As if he was familiar with other fairy tales of princesses, Kasro knew better than to lock her away in a tower or forbid her outright from seeing Farhad. Instead, he gave the stonecutter a task, something he was certain Farhad could never accomplish. If Farhad could carve through Mount Behistun, Kasro would allow him to marry Shirin. In some iterations, Farhad must carve a canal. In others, it's a tunnel, and still other versions he has to carve a staircase over the mountain. In whatever form, it was an impossible job for one man, or so Kasro thought. Without thinking twice, Farhad agreed and set to work. He spent years working tirelessly, chipping away at the mountain. The work he had done all his life had new meaning. Every crack at the mountain's surface would lead him to Sharon. Meanwhile, Kasro was worried about Farhad's diligence and determination. I see him nervously pacing some ostentatious room, his fine silk clothing beginning to itch. Even though the work was slow going, Farhad was making progress. It became clear to the Sultan. The stonecutter would carve his way through the mountain. So Kasro came up with a new scheme to keep Shirin to himself. He sent a messenger to the precarious outcropping of the mountain where Farhad had been working. And the message he delivered? That Shirin had fallen ill suddenly and died in the night. I wonder what view Farhad took in when he heard the news. How high up the mountain was he? Could he look out over the kingdom and see the Caspian Sea, see where the water met the sky? Did it feel like the highest point on earth in that moment? Maybe he was so high up that the air was thin, and he felt he could touch the heavens where he believed Sharon hovered. Often in these old legends, and even with more recent history, it's easy to see these figures, these characters in a more objective way, almost a colder way. It's easy to detach the emotional landscape from the concrete events that took place, and so it's easy to dilute our imaginations and judge these characters, their actions. But to devote your life with the hope it'll deliver what you most desire, to work for it with everything you have, and then hear that you'll never attain it. I think it's safe to say you don't have to have a wild imagination to understand that sense of loss, that devastation, to feel that sinking feeling. For Farhad, it might have been a sinking feeling, or it might have been a feeling of flight when he jumped off the edge of the mountain. Perhaps it felt like the release of a pressure valve when he struck himself with his own pickaxe, an opening, a way out. 
The legend kills Farhad in many ways, and perhaps it's less important how he died, but that his blood spilled at the foot of Mount Behistun, and from his blood on the parched earth sprouted the first tulips. They were crimson, they were bright, and they made the mountain feel small. Gathered, Storied Botanicals is a monthly podcast written, recorded, and produced by me, Allison B. Young. And I'm very excited to announce that the music you heard throughout this episode is an original work by Raven Bauer Durham. I get to work with Raven at the flower shop, and I'm over the moon that I get to put my words to her music. Thanks to Raven for putting this piece of music together for me. If you'd like to hear more of her music, you can find her on Bandcamp at ravenbowerdurham.bandcamp.com. I'll include links and more information in this episode's show notes. If you liked what you heard here, please tune in on June 17th for the next episode. Also, please consider rating the show on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. You can also head over to the website, gathered-storybotanicals.com, for more words, flowers, and art. Thank you for listening, and until next time.